0: What is the science of reading? What are leaders doing to accelerate reading achievement? We answer these questions and more in Science of Reading Leadership, Guiding Minds, Transforming Lives, powered by Just Right Reader.
1: We are thrilled to welcome Dr. Alfred Tatum to the podcast today. Dr. Tatum is a professor in the School of Education at Metropolitan State University of Denver. He has over 18 years of higher education experience and is passionate about relationship building and inclusive leadership. He is a leading authority and one of the nation's prominent education scholars of African-American boys literacy development. Prior to joining MSU Denver, Dr. Tatum was the Dean of College of Education at the University of Illinois at Chicago from 2013 to 2020, and directed the UIC Reading Clinic from 2007 to 2020. Also during that time, he hosted Boys College for three years, aimed to advance the literacy development of black boys in elementary school. Additionally, he led 2 post-release education and preparation projects for young men on intensive probation with Cook County after convincing the juvenile court judges to assign the young males to the UIC Reading Clinic instead of jail. Tatum has co-authored three books, four major reading and writing programs, and 77 academic papers and publications. Thank you so much for being here. We are delighted.
0: Oh, we are delighted. It's our pleasure and our honor to have you here, Dr. Tatum. So one of the things I want to make sure that we begin with is just hearing your story about how you came to education. I have been following you for years and years and years, and it's literally one of my favorite stories to hear. So can you kick us off by just letting us know how you got to this education field?
2: Yeah, thank you for the invitation. I've been looking forward to this uh, conversation. You know, education for me started as a sacred calling. Uh, I was uh, in love with mathematics. Uh, I read uh, vociferously. Uh, but when, during my undergraduate years, I, I used to read the print newspapers uh, a long time ago. Uh, and, and I just read this article that chronicled the challenges that uh, black boys were experiencing on the south side of Chicago. And uh, it was quite disturbing and, and my life just tilted. I moved away from finance and said that I'm going to spend the rest of my life uh, trying to uh, nurture reading, writing, and intellectual development a young among started with young boys, uh but how do we start thinking about uh, their position in the nation while making sure that no student is underserved?
0: Wow, and I you know I want to make sure that we talk about this too because I remember listening to one of your um Interviews one time, and you were sharing how you came into education thinking you were going to change the world, and you had a couple of boys who were basically like, "Nah, I'm not reading this." So tell us about that experience, just because I think it's so informative to the conversation we're going to have today.
2: You know, um, you know. Having said that, uh, I, I think uh, a very a lot of people. Um, enter education with good intentions mm-hmm. and uh, well-meaning, deep beliefs. But then you confront the reality of children who may not see the world the way you see it. But what I learned from that experience, and I and I thought I was a great teacher, but what I learned from that experience is um, you really have to do the hard work to become a great educator. Uh, so those boys repositioned me not to uh, focus on what I wanted to do, but what questions I should be asking. Mm. And so I started asking, what do I need to become smart about so that I'm shaping the positive life outcome trajectories for every child under the sound of my voice? And so they became my students early on.
0: Love it.
1: Wow. So am I correct, Alfred? Um, I don't know as much of your, your history and your story as Terry does, but you were um, in a career in finance and then read this article and kind of decided to change your, your trajectory. Is that what I heard?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I I ran into a a word, philanthropy, uh, as a sixth grade student, and I realized that you have to be rich. Uh, I thought you had to be rich at the time to become a philanthropist. Uh, And so I said, I need to make a lot of money uh, to embrace and embody this word. And so I majored in finance uh, with the idea of working in tall buildings downtown Chicago, um, but then it's a different type of philanthropy. Uh, we can you know, use our bodies and our minds in different ways to make uh, significant contributions to society.
1: I love that perspective. Yeah, it's great. So, Alfred, some of your most recent, your most recent research projects focus on the roles of texts and, and writing to advance the literacy development of African-American males in elementary school. Can you tell us just a little bit more about that?
2: Yeah, when I look at the roles of uh, text and the lives of uh, black men historically, uh, it served as tools of protection and in some ways deliverance. And then those who read the texts of those who came before us, uh, we became part of a storied history or a storied lineage. Uh, text has that power. Uh, and so what I began to do is try to figure out how do we restore our nation's children's confidence with the roles of text uh, to resuscitate uh, the power of language, the power of ideas, the power of words, and and then the power of their imaginations. Uh, And so that role of text has a very powerful relationship with not only reading text that puts you in contact with others, but then teaching them how to write text to put them in contact with themselves. And if those two things happen, uh, the sky is the limit uh, for the young children in our nation.
0: That is beautiful. So um, can you talk to us a little bit about, you kind of just touched on it, but I really want to kind of pull it out a little bit more because it's so important when we're talking about advancing reading skills. But why is writing, that component of writing, so important when we discuss this work?
2: Yeah, writing is a true intellectual exercise. Uh, You can fake reading, but you can't fake writing. Uh, and, and, and I've been saying that for a long time. Um, but writing also uh, gives you an opportunity to um, share your consciousness, whether it's social consciousness or scientific consciousness. And then you can find residence in writing. And in many ways, you can rewrite your own lives. And we have many uh, people who who have, have done that. And so uh, writing is just, it's a different type of demand that allows you to not only elevate your reading experiences, but elevate your lived experiences in ways that could be transformative uh, for those who get to experience uh, your writing, uh, including yourself.
1: Wow. When we think about, you know, the the Dr. Alfred Tatum approach to reading and writing and instruction, what would look different in, in that classroom than is maybe happening in, in our current classrooms?
2: Yeah, I, I think some of this is happening, but I would like it to happen to a greater uh, extent. Um, exaltation. Uh, maybe many people think of that as a, a biblical term, mm. but exaltation simply means holding students in the highest regard. Mm and a staunch refusal to allow them to fail in your presence. And so I began to say, well, how do you exalt students at the word level, at the sentence level, at the text level, uh, and at the life level? And so exaltation runs counter to um, turning down the volume of reading and writing based on some form of data strangulation that gives us permission to do less with some kids in our nation. So exaltation is the is is the cornerstone of everything I attempt to do when I am teaching and thinking about and writing about uh, literacy.
1: I remember now that you say that I was um, I watched you at a panel on a panel a few months ago, and i I'm, I'm pretty sure it was you who said that growth is the permission to fail students. I wrote that quote down. Um, tell us more about that.
2: Yeah, you know, traditionally, we've measured um, uh, students' reading growth in five-year increments, usually school improvement plans. Uh, That's very different from attainment. And and so growth also means you can have slow growth. Mm -hmm. Uh, What I argue for is we need to create conditions that lead to exponential growth because we don't have all of the time in the world. I mean, you have many students who are simply relying on us to shape their uh, next uh, chapter. So a slow growth orientation based on reading data uh, have allowed us to uh, uh, do less with some kids based on whatever criteria or assessment tools we misinterpret.
0: And this really, that, that idea really speaks to the work you're, uh, you've been doing around um, intentionally um, choosing text or selecting text for our students, being very intentional about that. So when you think about that, um, how can we ensure that this, the text that we're selecting, especially when we're thinking about the science of reading for our early literacy students, how can we ensure that we're being intentional about the text, but also addressing the needs of those students?
2: Yeah, I I start here. And and so um, I don't have a list of texts that I often uh, go to. Uh, I often ask the question, what are the best texts among us? And how can students be well served by these texts? Language development, knowledge development, identity development, uh, et cetera. And so once you have a clear litmus test of what you're trying, uh, and academic development, once you have a clear litmus test of what you're trying to accomplish, then you go out seeking those texts. But the other part of this, if I look at the other end of the continuum, I know that students, as they move through their life trajectory, Uh, some have privileged access to knowledge and some have limited access to knowledge across the different disciplines and so how do I not only select these powerful texts, but make sure we have text across a wide range of topics a wide range of disciplines so that I'm not becoming an inadvertent accomplice of erasing students from these academic uh, disciplines so biology physics chemistry development to appropriate ways, genetic engineering, all of that belongs to our young students. Uh, but we have to make sure that they could read and access those uh, words uh, independently.
1: Wow. <laughs> Terry, Terry and I, if you're, if you're just listening to the pod, Terry and I are both just smiling and nodding and, and taking it all in. I know, Dr. Tatum, tell us a little bit more um, about this. And if, if, we have school leaders and district leaders who are listening, um, and we have struggling adolescent readers. Where do you feel like, um, school leaders and district leaders should start when they're dealing with struggling adolescent readers?
2: Uh, it starts with a strong conceptualization. What are you really trying to accomplish? Not for the sake of a school's accountability, mm but going back to this notion of exaltation uh, and deliverance. And then once you figure out what you're really trying to accomplish and you rally around that, how do you put your educators in the best position to make sure that you are creating a buoy that allows students to move toward advanced levels of reading and writing without giving you know failure some excusatory power, parenting, poverty, economics, uh, those things fall by the wayside uh, once students have extraordinary uh, 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 educators. Uh, and then lastly, uh, always remember that we're not talking about kids' literacy development alone, we're talking about kids' uh, lives. And so we should always approach uh, curriculum or teaching or instruction or professional development with that level of seriousness and sincerity that those young students uh, who rely on us deserve.
0: I'm so happy that you brought up this idea of uh, their environment and all of, um, that goes with that because I really want you to talk to us. There's this buzzword of course right now with culturally responsive um, instruction and in classrooms mm-hmm. and environments. And I would love to hear your take on what that looks like, what that means.
2: Um, This morning I read about war, taxes, Mm -hmm. drone technology, and historical narratives. All of that is culturally relevant. Mm -hmm. I drink water. I live through the lens of statistics or regression analysis, So when you share black men are more likely to. So that means that hydrology and statistics become culturally relevant and culturally responsive. There's nothing under the sun that does not meet the criteria of being culturally responsive. Mm-hmm. It's how we mediate it in a way that does not bastardize students' identities. So when I think about culturally responsive, I, I say all text, across all disciplines belong to all students. Mm -hmm. Now, if someone makes a choice and said, that's not for me based on my phenotype, then they have in effect uh, tried to determine uh, what's for me and what's not for me. Uh, And that's not how you protect an individual, protect the community, protect the nation. Uh, The other part that we don't really think about is language from a culturally relevant perspective. Uh, our students can become brilliant, uh, not just language proficiency, but reading the language of other nations and how they uh, the knowledge penetrates the psyche. Uh, so I read French text, text in French, because it gives me a different type of elevation or cultural elevation. But we don't think this way. We don't. We're not trying to say that every piece of text is uh, there's nothing good enough for the young master or the young mister. Uh, And we we have to remind ourselves of that. I can't think of one thing that's not culturally relevant.
0: (laughs) I love that, I love that. This episode is brought to you by Just Right Reader. Extend phonics instruction, strengthen school-home partnerships, and accelerate reading achievement with take-home decodable packs from Just Right Reader. Personalized take-home packs make phonics fun and accessible for families. Every book, comes with a video phonics lesson and writing pages to help readers reinforce their decoding and writing skills. To learn more, visit JustWriteReader.com.
1: Alfred, are there any um, pieces of current research that you're aware of or that you might be conducting right now? Any developments in the field that, um, of the science of reading that you find particularly exciting or promising right now?
2: Yeah, I, I think uh, uh, the nation is really trying to uh, uh, strike a balance uh, in language between um, what we coin as a science, science of reading and uh, knowledge development, and so really sitting at the intersection of what what that means, and uh, as we pay attention to students' uh, lived uh, uh, realities, and so that that that's um, uh, that that that's really taking place, and it's taking place across all communities. Uh, Whether it's uh, the the dyslexic community or uh, the community, and they're not uh, totally distinct, but those communities who are um, are thinking about gifted and talented, uh, folks are wrestling with the same uh, conversations across the continuum. But what we have not figured out is how do you take um, the best research among us and knowledge development to yield exponential growth or accelerate it? Um, we're still, you know, slow walking through this particular uh, quagmire of, of 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 our national literacy uh, development. So, in short, we're all trying to find out what is that appropriate literacy uh, equation uh, that will serve us all well at the end of the day.
0: I love that. Um, I remember you saying one time I was watching one of your, I think, YouTube videos, and you said that you decided. I think when you were in fifth grade or sixth grade that you were going to read five pounds <laughs> of of literature a month or something like that. And um, I, I feel like that kind of fed your love for reading. So I have three daughters and I have um, a couple that love to read. And I have one who's just brilliant and she just does not love to read. But I want to know... What can we do as teachers, as leaders, as parents? What can we do to help foster um, a love for reading so that our children can learn to read, so that they can love to read? What can we do to help facilitate that?
2: You, you have to hug them with text.
0: Oh gosh, that was such a beautiful answer. I'm so I sorry, that got me off guard. <laughs>
2: yeah you know and I, I think about my own sons you know the older they got i still try to hug them and they try to resist it and you know but 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 i did the same thing with with, with words and so sometimes just you know letting you know that this is a comforting a hug is sort of, sort of comforting and, and, and lets you know that you know someone cares about you they're on your side and so there were times i would hug them with a gorgeous word or a short paragraph or a quick conversation about text, and these were really literacy hugs. They had no idea, you know, what, what that, how that. And I did it as an eighth grade teacher. Um, I used to hug my books, and my students used to make fun of me. I, I did it unconsciously, oh. and I said, by the year's end, I'm going to make sure some of these boys and girls are hugging text as we walk down the hall. And true to form, uh, it, it came to a, a, a reality. How are you, how are you hugging them? and uh not not, not not a false hug and and, and let them know that uh, um, whether it's easy or challenging, you know I'm right there with you and uh, um, embrace it. They'll, they'll eventually embrace it.
1: We need teachers and leaders who who love books and who who read for their own humanity as well and and to be able to take that love and and pass it on to to the next generation of students. Alfred, do you have any, um, I'm sure working with schools and districts all over the country, um, what about early literacy? What about our students who maybe are not even in um, kindergarten yet or are in kindergarten, you know, three, four, and five-year-olds? What are ways that we can hold them in the highest regard and give them the foundation they need to learn to love reading?
2: I mean, rich conversations. One, one, uh, honoring that they're just the smallest among us. Uh, but having said that, uh, they have these um, uh, uh, intellectual ideas. I mean, they're, they're form of they're they're full of questions and, and ideas. We we never want to uh, snuff that out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but rich conversations and uh, uh, language development, uh, there have to be opportunities where the youngest among us uh, find joy and laughter. Uh, when I have a you know kid smile and and laugh, uh, uh, that 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 goes a long way. But then also stoking their knowledge development too. And so these are these rich, powerful, meaningful uh, read alouds. Uh, and don't be afraid to try to make their heads explode. <laughs> <laughs> Just because a word is big, and if you ever watch the cartoons, they they don't care. You know, they use the rich rich language and vocabulary, but you know, and do it in an environment where uh, uh, it's important for me that you continue to love this thing called uh, education, because in my presence, good things will happen, and that's what they need to feel in, in your presence. Um, no, no, no data and literacy assaults on the youngest kids among us.
0: Hmm. So I, I think keep, keeping with that same train of thought, right, as we watch our children move through these different phases, right, keeping that conversation going, then what do we do as they move into the elementary years and then as they move into the secondary years, and even when we think about them going into college?
2: yeah the, the, the key is um, uh, trying to give them help them find residence in, 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 in personal development and find residence uh, in intellectual development. It, it's something beautiful about about both of those. Um, and once we you know help them find that residence, uh, I mean it, it goes uh, it goes a long way. Uh, I, I want to give you an example. There's a, a study that came out about young black boys' face expressions.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: cognitive psychologists said, well, we need to train them to work on their faces. Uh came out a little study. I said, wait a minute. We need to give them knowledge about cognitive psychology. You're trying to train my face, but there's a whole field called cognitive psychology that I can do in a developing appropriate way. So now, cognitive psychology became culturally relevant all of a sudden. And these are things that we can introduce early on, um, but we don't you know, give ourselves the affordances to move them uh, in that uh, direction. Uh, and then the last thing is remind ourselves that we all use the same 26 letters of the alphabet, whether you in elementary or early literacy or elementary or middle or high, It's just having them find comfort within those 26 letters and 44 sounds.
1: Yes. 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 Alfred, what leadership actions have you seen to be helpful in promoting this type of learning environment in the schools that you've worked with that have been able to see this come to fruition and like we said, truly hold students in their highest regard. What steps have those leaders taken um, to maybe change a culture?
2: Uh, I'm going to talk about a recent event. I'm working with uh, a couple of school districts now, long-term. Shifting the language is critically important. Mm -hmm. When we start shifting from uh, advanced or basic reading, I mean, from basic and proficient reading to advanced reading, it forced the district that I'm working in to ask different questions. Mm -hmm. The assessment team, here's another example, the assessment teams uh, have to do a better job of not using data in corrosive ways. So we just had something at Bennell Elementary in Florida. They brought the elementary students to the assembly and they said, if you don't increase your scores, you'll go to jail or die. But if you do, we'll give you Chick-fil-A. Death on one hand, Chick-fil-A on the other. True story, about a month ago in Florida. But what was happening is uh, data were being used as the enemy of the good mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and if you don't frame that conversation and language uh, it, it, it misses the mark and then someone within a district has to figure out this is how we're going to concretize uh, our steps uh, and so there has to be a true uh, plan related uh, uh, to that uh, you can't let you know you can't let us off the hook. I mean, if you're my leader, don't don't let me off the hook. You know, help me persist. Uh, help me become smarter. Uh, help me uh, do something meaningful and significant in the lives of those I am responsible uh, for teaching. And you can do it with the ethic of love and care, too.
0: Yeah, I think that one of the key things that you just you're is pervasive through this conversation is that idea of loving and caring and bringing everybody to a sense of that feeling when we're really talking about um, creating a love for reading. And I think that that's beautiful. It's a whole new, not new approach, but it's a powerful approach that I think is overlooked sometimes.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's critical. I always ask the question, are we preparing uh, kids at scale, scope? and intellectual sophistication. Mm -hmm. If we can't say we're preparing them at scale and at scope and intellectual sophistication, that's a meter that we need to uh, readjust.
0: Amazing. So where can people find out more about your research um, and all of the work that you've been doing?
2: You know, I'm really excited about my uh, most recent book that came out. Uh, advanced Discovery Knowledge uh, Teaching Black Boys in Elementary Grades. Uh, it really encapsulates a lot of this uh, conversation. Uh, although the title says Teaching Black Boys, I mean, that book is for the nation. I just conducted research with, with Black Boys. Uh, and I just recently had an article accepted today. It's about bringing order uh, to the literacy development of our nation's children amidst chaos. Um, and, and so, I mean, you can just Google or start with that uh, text or give me a call and invite me to a podcast.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm hoping that, you know, my book arrives on time because I cannot wait to dive into it. Um, And I'm just so excited about this work, really. But but, you
2: know, it's it's a lot of, I mean, a lot of uh, good people who are doing great stuff. Uh, Again, we just have to order it in a way that gives it the force and the momentum Uh, to make sure that uh, students are not erased. How would we define that broadly?
0: I love it. Um, At the end of all of our conversations, or as we get ready to close out, we always ask uh, the same question. We ask the same question. And um, the question that we ask is, what are two things that we can do to accelerate reading achievement?
2: Uh, High text volume matters uh, and quality instruction and so um, the more kids are reading and writing the better they will become uh, a reader become readers and writers Uh, and then the other thing is uh, make sure that we're giving them uh, a wide range of experiences with uh, disciplinary uh, knowledge because that's the lens they live their lives through
1: awesome
0: perfect
2: I love it. In some cases, they give them a, a larger allowance, make them feel good. <laughs> that's what I would have told my parents if they'd asked me that question years ago.
1: Oh, That's perfect. Well, Alfred, thank you so much for for joining us today. I know that um, Terry and I certainly learned a lot and I am so excited for the rest of our listeners to be able to hear this too. And um, In a lot of ways, I think that you've you're going to help a lot of people and you already have helped a lot of people and educators connect back with the core and the why we, the why we do what we do. And it's, it's not for test scores and it's not for slow growth and it's not for um, district achievement. It's, it's truly to help children realize um, their fullest potential and their fullest self. And so thank you so much for, for bringing that back to the light and bringing that back to the forefront of what we're doing.
2: Great. This was, uh, this was fun. Thanks for inviting me.
1: Thanks for joining us. If you found this conversation
0: valuable, please subscribe and leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. We will see you next time on Science of Reading Leadership, Guiding Minds, Transforming Lives. Mind.